Hello and welcome to the PK Soccer Youth Coaching Podcast with me, Paul Kelshaw. During this time, I will be discussing many topics surrounding the youth game and what people like myself are doing to improve the standards of coaching, player development, spectator understanding and personal growth, especially here in the US. I'll be giving my opinion as well as talking to friends, colleagues, past and present, who have had a positive impact on my own personal coaching development but whom I also believe are having a positive impact in the game today. Today I am joined by my friend Eddie Hackett. Eddie is the Boys Technical Director of Sousa Academy Long Island and Director of Coaching at Bayman Soccer Club. He is also a USSF A licensed coach. I first met Eddie back in 2005 when we were both player development officers for the New York Metro Stars and for MLS camps. In today's episode, we talk about Eddie's introduction into coaching in Suffolk County and with MLS camps. We talk about Eddie's desire to develop youth soccer players and provide them with the best facilities, training and competition. We also talk about his role in merging several clubs and organisations in the Suffolk County area of Long Island, New York. Hi Eddie, thank you for joining me this evening. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me. It's great to hear from you. First, if you could give us a brief introduction of how you got into coaching. Yeah, I played in in England, um, you know, all the way through high school, college, um, played semi-pro locally in Manchester. And then, um, you know, just always, always had a passion for the game. So I worked at an indoor facility in Manchester, which was one of the biggest in the world. And, you know, met a bunch of guys who were into coaching. I was probably uh, just turned 18. Uh, my career was maybe fizzling out a little bit. I already realized that I probably wasn't going to play pro. So then what was the next best thing? It was coaching. So that's how I got started in England. And then, um, obviously, we we first met 2005 working for MLS Camp. So under like the Metro Stars brand. But you'd already worked in a few years before before that how and why did you choose mls camps as a reason to come to the us um so the place i was working at in manchester uh, one of the coaches there had been to america the year before and i remember speaking to him about you know just his his experience and he obviously spoke very highly of it what a great experience it was just just being in another country my sister traveled the world so she kind of encouraged me to to get away a little bit and um, I, I remember, I, I think I applied for two companies as well as MLS camps, you know, just to put a feeler out there. I had an interview with one company that just didn't, you know, just kind of fizzled out. Um, and then MLS camps were very organized. I went to um, one of their like coaching weekends down in, uh, well, not down, Sheffield area. Um, and then it kind of just went from there. It, it, everything happened real quick. Next minute, I had a visa, and I was flying out in the July of 2002. So, so where did you first, where was your first stop? I flew into New Jersey. They told me I was going to be in New York, New Jersey area to start with. I remember I landed in Newark, New Jersey, without a clue of where I was. I knew, obviously, New York City was right there. Um, I spent the weekend in the Ramada Hotel in, in Newark. And then I had a seven-hour drive to Pennsylvania the next day, driving on the wrong side of the road in a seven-car convoy. So it was I've, quite... uh, 
I've heard a lot of things from Nick Dunbar about the Ramada in in Newark. I never had the. I don't think maybe I did stay there one night, but yeah. um, that's kind of uh, if you work for MLS camps, you most people did stay at the Ramada in. Yeah, Newark. that was the, that was the meeting point. If ever we uh, we had to get back together, that was the place to be. So. So then it was some, straight into summer camps. Yeah, straight into summer camps. I remember doing. I think I was shipped around from like six states within seven weeks. I was just constantly back in the car every Friday or Saturday, start again on a Monday, do another camp. And But, it, you know, for me, I was young. It was a great experience. I was 21, didn't have a care in the world, loved coaching. I'd do anything. And they, they said, go do that camp. I went and did it. And that was... Yeah, that, it was that I remember simple. being similar to me. You don't, you didn't really, you didn't really have a choice. So uh, it right. was was... I remember I flew into Atlanta, thought mm. I was going to be based in Georgia. Next thing, I'm five hour trip to central Florida. Yep. So it's, and the things that you're just, um, I think those, some of those experiences doing that, it, mm. it kind of is character building, but it does prepare you. It's a lot of stuff now that I'm sure you do with your club that a lot yep. of people would have turned the nose up, but you thought, well, it doesn't compare to driving seven hours to middle of Pennsylvania. So yeah, you know, I was, I was, I'm pretty easy going as a person, you know, and I just for me, whatever I got asked to do, I would do, and I wasn't here to complain. I'm live, I was living in America, I had a little bit of money in my pocket, and away I went. So, and you know, like you said about coaching, it's, it is all about experience. A lot of a lot of coaches I meet nowadays, I don't, they've not really had that experience where they've done every level of the game. You know, and I think it really teaches you a lot. Yeah, I think it also helps you as well when you're, especially now, if you're trying to explain that your your club's pathway or mm -hmm. the stepping stones within your club, the fact that you've coached at all those different levels does help, I think, having a connection with with parents. Now, I remember when, um, when I first met you, we flew to probably to Newark 2005, mm -hmm. and you were very kind to, like, show me around a little bit the area just so I could kind of somewhat settle in. But you were based all the way out east in farmland. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about your time in Manitouk? Yeah, I did uh, two years in New Jersey, down South Jersey. And then I got offered a position in, in the March of 2004 with a small club out in Matatuck on the North Fork of Long Island. I had no idea really where it was. I'd done the summer out there. I got told it was by the Hamptons, so I was very excited. Uh, it was slightly different on the North Fork than the South Fork. But, uh, yeah, it was a small club. They were very passionate. Uh, the president of the club had a good history. Um, he knew the game. He'd played in college. Um, his kids were playing. Very passionate guy about the game. And I remember kind of latching onto him, and he latched onto me. I was obviously, at that time, 23 I was very passionate about the game. You know, I jumped in sessions with the older kids and I just had bags of energy. I was just, you know, just wanted to be out there playing or coaching or doing whatever. So, yeah, it was a good experience. So when you first did, when you were first out there, you were the only MLS coach? Or, yeah, and then so, someone came to join you? Yeah, there was, a, there was a lad before me who'd been there probably about three or four years and he transferred elsewhere. Um, so they offered me the position. So I was, I guess, quote unquote, the head trainer back then of the club. Um, 
I my contract was to do one training session a week for every team in the club. And I also ran their intramurals, which was, you know, their little peewee program for the younger kids. So not like it is now where we run, you know, run teams and whatever. It was more just about training. And then you well, that, work with the parent coaches. I think that was uh, somewhat the way that MLS was marketed back then, because I know I'd done that before. I would yeah. be, um, this is like a, not a travel coach, but like a traveling coach, just going from team to team. team I think yeah. just so everyone kind of got a, a taste of professional coaching. Exactly. So, then I know we talked a little bit before about how you then started to like uh, favor certain teams and then start to develop a bond and then build up their skills. So yep. how did you start transforming th those teams? Did it take a lot of convincing? Um, no, it was interesting, actually. So the club had had a little bit of success and, uh, and it was all driven by the president of the club. He was a, you know, again, he was a good soccer guy and, I was only young at the time, so I came from more of a playing background, but I had coached a little bit. Um, he was a bit of a mentor for me because he saw my passion for the game and I saw his knowledge of the game where, you know, I'd met a lot of coaches back then who didn't really talk about the game and break it down the way he did. So it was really interesting, you know, you know, I think the the English guys coming over then, we probably had a little bit of an ego that we knew everything about the game. But I think meeting a guy like that opened my eyes to the to the tactics of the game, whereas I was just, you know, it was more technical based from a training standpoint about the individual player. And now I was I started to learn about, you know, the team side of it and, and breaking down the tactical game. So, like I said, he was a knowledgeable guy. Um, I remember one of the guys in the club had done a national license. So, you know, kind of been through the education side. So even though there were a small club out in, you know, out in the sticks a little bit. It was uh, there was some there was some good people. So, what I learned very quickly, I kind of latched onto him. His teams were pretty good. So back in them, you know, Long Island Junior Soccer League Division One, um, playing against you know some good teams on Long Island. And then when you won Division One back then, you went into Northeast Region Premier, and then tried to climb the ladder into Region One. So they'd explain that model to me. So I kind of latched onto that. I was, you know, I just wanted to compete at the highest level I could. Well, then, I know you'd mentioned there about one of the coaches you'd met had, had gone through some of the licensing, mm -hmm. whereas I felt like MLS was pushing more the, the NSCAA. It seemed that you started your USSF coaching pathway at a relatively early stage. How did you, is that right, you started doing, what USSF's yeah. license did you start with? So, um, I'd done my FA Level 2 in England prior to coming over to, to the States. Um, so I was kind of trying to, you know, get into coaching a little bit more and, and, and educate myself. And then when I came over to this country, I think I did like an advanced national diploma, maybe an NSCAA when I was originally with, you know, Metro stars. And, and like you said, they kind of pushed you in that direction because that was the way to go. But I remember asking someone, you know, about uh, USSF because, I didn't know I was going to settle down in this country and knowing that I had a passion for coaching, I wanted to know that if I left the U S could my qualifications transfer. And I remember very early on, someone said to me that NSCAA is a diploma. It's not a license. So therefore it wouldn't transfer to another country. So that's why I started pursuing, 
I remember speaking to some of the Metro Stars guys at the times who were probably a year ahead of me. And they'd, you know, one of the lads had already done his uh, USSF National Sea License. Um, so I ended up being a year behind him. I managed to get straight on the National Sea. So I bypassed the, you know, the local FED, whatever. Um, so I did my C license in 2006. I did my B license in 2007. Um, I skipped a year in 2008 and then I did my A license in 2009. So that's, um, it's kind of good to hear then that you, you took the advice of, of like a, a local based coach and, and then gained that information. Um, is this something that you did off your own back financially? Yeah, back then, um, yeah, there was there wasn't much real assistance from, you know, from anybody. Um, you know, working for MLS camps, uh, the club provided us with with housing and and a car, um, and then you know basically the money you made was your own money. So, I knew that I wanted to be in soccer. I knew that very early on. You know, I'd only have, I'd played and and I'd coached from an early age. I didn't really enjoy anything else. I wasn't brilliant at school. I didn't really have the focus for it. Um, but I knew I, I had the passion and energy that, you know, I just wanted to see where soccer would take me kind of thing. So but I knew licensing would help. You say that though, but then you feel like it's, the fact that you'd planned ahead, um, mm -hmm. it was very easy to be that kind of summer camp coach and just live week by week. But the fact that you were like looking ahead and not just necessarily here in the US, just looking at the difference of, you know, would these licenses transfer into mm -hmm. to England or into Europe? Just yep. seems to be like um, a very smart decision and one step, just seems to be like one step ahead of everyone else and something that maybe not everyone, um, obviously now it's a little bit different where if someone gets their A license and it's, it's plastered all over social media and things and it you seem to everyone seems to know but it's something that you've um you kind of gone about quietly which probably you know been very modest about it and and humble in then your your approach to the licensing which again is somewhat unusual but probably like a credit a credit to you because it's been a, a huge benefit for you so then from so then from when Metro Stars changed to the Red Bulls. Was that? Did you notice much of a difference then? Working was there a big um, difference in the in the company then? I think I think at that point, you know, I'd 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 kind of um, started to understand the the landscape a little bit more, because you know when when you come over from another country, you really have no idea what you're doing apart from it, it, it's an experience. So that that's the initial kind of you know, the culture shift of coming to a new country, you know, I had no intention of settling down here. It was really to get away from England for a little bit and try something new. And then when I got here, I saw the opportunity that, you know, obviously traveling was awesome, meeting different people I enjoyed, um, different cultures, different backgrounds. I just enjoyed people, like just picking people's brain about, you know, what life's all about kind of thing without being cheesy about it. But you know, and then once I got here and I've been here a couple of years, I started to kind of see, um, you know, like my goal was always to try and work for the Red Bulls at the professional level. Once I settled down here and I saw 
the MLS starting to grow, right, from potentially whatever it was, eight teams, ten teams in the MLS. Um, the game was growing. You know, you'd go to games at Giant Stadium and you're in this massive stadium, but then they talked about soccer-specific stadiums. Uh, being in L.A., seeing, you know, Galaxy Stadium, you kind of saw the evolution shift in that. Like, I remember looking back in 2002 when I first got here, there was no soccer fields anywhere. There was baseball fields and football fields. And within about a, you know, five, six-year swing, there was soccer fields everywhere. And you started to see the game growing in this country. And that's when I kind of looked at it and said, you know, I have a choice to make. And I remember my, my family in England sitting me down saying, like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you going to come back home? Are you going somewhere else? Or, or do you see yourself in America? And I'm like, kind of, I, I can see the game evolving. So, therefore, I'm going to pursue it. You know, and that's 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 kind of where I made my mind up. So, how did... So then your your first opportunity as really like an independent coach, was that at Newfield? Uh, no. So, uh, well, the, the company changed over from MLS camps to, you know, Red Bulls took over the region. I think that was 2008. And then I got engaged in 2009. So knowing that, you know, my visas were kind of, you know, it was difficult to continue to get, you know, visas. Um you know, me and my fiance at that time, we'd, we'd planned getting married. So I got married in 2010. And then I had pretty good relationships in Suffolk County because I'd, I'd been out here at that point for a good three or four years. And I'd already merged a team. I was involved in um, in 2000, probably through that time at Mattatuck, you know, the, the club were very forward thinking. You know, in terms of it, it was a very small player pool. So let's say I had a team of, you know, I had some girls teams back then that went to like LIJ Division One with a core group of like nine players. And then you had like 10, 11, 12 that they were good kids. They were somewhat athletic, but, you know, we knew we had to grow the roster. So, so it was a question of, all right, what do we do? So what happened was we used to play in Division One against a Newfield Travel Club uh, team and we were super competitive, two different styles of play, but... The coaches, you know, got along on the sideline, even though it was competitive. And I remember speaking to those guys on the sideline. And I always had a friendly approach, even to competition. Like, I never really cared. You know, yeah, I wanted to win, but that wasn't really the goal. Back then, it was still, I was only focused on training, really. Right. Um, so the funny thing was, I spoke to the Newfield guys, and then they approached me and said, hey, would you come and train our team as well? Because we really like the way your team play. I'm like, yeah. So I spoke to Matt. I took, they were okay with it. I went and trained that team. And as I got to know the two teams, we basically said, why don't we bring the teams together? Because that's going to help the kids constantly improve. Otherwise, you know, how do you build a team? So we basically took the top eight players from each team and made a team of 16, went to some tournaments, did well. And then that kind of evolved into one team. And then they offered me a, a DOC job at, at Newfield after that. So. so again, maybe it's just from my own experience, but the merging of, of teams... Um, I haven't come across that too often. Right. To me, it seems seems like a, again a new forward way of thinking. Yep. Um, so then, being presented then with this DLC position, were you? Um, did you even know what a DLC was? Was it? Was this something like completely new? Yeah, I don't know if this is true or not, but I I got told I was the first DLC on Long Island from the Red Bulls because. Um, I was actually DOC at Matatuck in 2006. 
Um, and I remember sitting down with the Red Bulls and and this whole term of DOC when back then it was just everybody's just a trainer. And even if you're independent, you're around training, you're the head trainer and you might have a couple of teams. Right. But I remember thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to settle down here, I need a full-time job. I can't just be winging it, trying to earn a little bit of money. I needed to actually make a career out of it. I think I started, you know, I, I did a little bit of traveling with ODP in around like 2006, 2007. I remember going down to North Carolina and three monster clubs down there had merged into one. And I remember thinking about it going like, why doesn't New York that work that way? You know, and then I'd come back and I'd start picking people's brain in New York going like, I don't understand the model. Like, aren't we all trying to get kids to the highest level? You know, because that's how I grew up in England, right? It was the best players got picked off, went to pro clubs. Everybody else kind of tried to figure out their way. So I always kind of had that mindset of how do you get, if I'm going to be a coach, what's my goal as a coach, right? Yeah, I want to compete. I want to win. But how do you get kids into the pro ranks? How do you get them into the national pool? Like I was always thinking that way. And then that's where I'd always ask questions. So every time I traveled and saw what the rest of the country was doing, I felt like New York was behind. So every time I came back, I pushed that agenda. Like, why don't we do that here? I have noticed that with people I've spoke to, it seems to be more common in New Jersey. I've mm -hmm. spoken to people in like Southern Pennsylvania, where it's all a lot of smaller clubs merging into one. So again, right. another another example there of where you seem to be a little forward thinking and and not just planning for next week. You've obviously you're planning for the future. Yeah. Which I think um again, maybe I'm only speaking from my own experiences, but from the coaches that I've seen, it's in that time period wasn't the most common approach to to coaching. It was like, Well, I'm gonna do this till the end of the season, let's see what where it leads but the fact that yeah. you know being forward thinking has probably put you in the the position and the the stature that you have now so what was some of the so how long down the road then did did newfield turn into lake grove newfield um so i'd already tried it at matatuck that was where east end fc and east end soccer academy came from because again it was just the thought process of trying to bring a bigger player pool together you know, uh, when I went to Newfield, what I realized was uh, there was no, uh, there was a high school, you know, in Newfield. So it was Newfield Soccer Club. There was Newfield High School, but I also had kids from like the Selden area who went to Center Reach High School. And then it, there was the Middle Country School District. And then the neighboring club was Lake Grove. So we had Middle Country, Newfield, Lake Grove. Um, just north of us, maybe Terryville. So there were some other clubs in and around that area. So the, the trainer at Lake Grove, I actually knew him pretty well because, again, we'd coached against each other. Uh, we'd trained some of the same teams. So, again, I, I kind of just went to him and picked his brain about, you know, well, what do you think? What's your experience? And so on. Um, we knew it wasn't going to be easy, but basically – um we looked at the two clubs i had a very i had a pretty strong intramural program from like 5 to 10 11 of about maybe 4 500 kids and then i had about um i can't remember at the time maybe 18 20 travel teams and he kind of had the opposite he had a big travel program with a small intramural program and we looked at it and said all right well 1 plus 1 makes 3 if we could bring the clubs together you have the best of everything you have the staff, you have the resources, you have the club, you have the fields. 
because ultimately, you know, we were sh- we were fighting for fields, we were fighting for the same player pool. So, right. like, you'd look at a team and say you had a U11 team. He had five good players. I had five good players, and it was like, well, wh- why are we fighting for these players? If you put the best players together, you're going to have a better team, and then the kids are going to thrive in that environment. So- yeah, I do find um, there's still a lot of clubs on Long Island where small clubs that are probably feel, feel that they're a little too proud and right. are, are against that merger. Uh, and really there's, and, and I, I work with a lot of those, those smaller clubs that are competing for the same players, competing for the same fields. Yeah. And like you said, it, um, the fact that you were able to encourage them to have that open mind. And again, it was all about giving players a pathway and giving them a, a better opportunity to improve and play. And then you just mentioned then, I briefly touch on East End FC. Is that correct? That was the name. Yeah. And again, I think yeah. I remember playing against that um, an East End FC, FC team in the Riverhead Calverton area, which yep. was kind of, um, they didn't really have a club. It was kind of a quiet area. And I think that right. was probably East End FC, from my knowledge, was one of the first... Um, non-community clubs whatever east end fc evolved on the east end soccer academy training company as such so you know we'd offer training to those local clubs kind of like red bull did yeah. uh, you know so that that was the original model and then the, there was a soccer club riverhead soccer club that was started by a guy uh, i can't remember when but you know he was kind of fading out his kids were a little bit older he was stepping away and the new president that was coming in was very keen. And I kind of presented the model to him of, of what the thought process was. And he loved the idea. You know, again, a forward-thinking guy. Um, and that's where, again, I was just trying to... The difficult thing was always personalities. You know, you've always got people who have, you know, their, their, their own way of thinking they want to do things. Right. And then trying to really bring those people together to see the bigger picture. That it's not about any one person. It's really about collaboration. If you can collaborate, you can be more successful. But obviously, it's then you got to trust each other and so on. So that's where East End FC came from. Um, you know, it was some groups of Matatuck, Riverhead, in around that area that started to come together and, and form new teams. So then, um, I suppose then now your your role as the DOC has, has evolved from just training a few teams, but then really stretching to a, a wider reach community. What were some of your other roles i'm sure now there's big administrative roles or communicating with with different school districts or different clubs how how did that work out um i think it again it comes from the mindset of just you know i always saw the bigger picture and and for me i was i was lucky as a kid that i got an opportunity to play you know to play in a pro academy not that i made it pro i wasn't i wasn't good enough at the end of the day but I someone had given me the opportunity when I was younger to play for my local club and then get scouted and go into you know a professional environment. So I remember that opportunity and, and that's what I kind of look back on. I remember speaking to my dad a few times trying to pick his brain on you know how because I was just a kid back then so I didn't really know. You know I'm in an, I'm in the midst of trying to be a professional soccer player but you know 11 12 or whatever. Um I had no real idea but I always, that was always my mindset of how, what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, if I'm a soccer coach, 
I'm not just trying to build a team, right? I, I'm trying to develop players. So always having that mindset, I was always trying to push the agenda to evolve, you know, not just be comfortable with where you are, but how do you right. get to the next level? You know, whether it's a league, whether it's a club, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, an academy. And I remember I was still connected to the Red Bulls. So like they were evolving the RDS, the RDS then grew into the academy. Obviously, you know, back then you had these professional clubs in the MLS that had no youth program. So it was just, you know, kids going through the ODP model. And then that model was started to fade away. And I guess 2011 was when um, the NYCSL League came into play on Long Island and competing against Long Island Junior. And their model was you can share player pools, you can expand rosters, you can share rosters, share players across rosters. So again, it was a real forward thinking way of doing things rather than just have a team of 12 kids that are stuck together for a whole year. Throughout the year, if a player was thriving, you could move them up. If a player was struggling, you could move them down. So it really evolved into more of an administration role of how do you use that to your advantage to continue to develop, develop players, you know? And, and that's really where it all came from. So then um, where in, in all this did uh, Bayman and Sousa come in, into the picture? Um, very similar to what happened from Matt. I took to Newfield. So I was in Newfield. Um, I had a girls team that was kind of my, my main team. And then I moved into some of the younger boys teams. Um, through a friend at ODP, um, I got a call and they basically said, Hey, there's a team in Bayport. It's a good little group. Um, they're looking for a, a full-time coach or potentially a, a trainer. Would you be interested? So again, it was it was just the thought of, you know, okay, if I have the time and I could fit it into my schedule, I was trying to build my own staff where, you know, I could I could bring some coaches in and develop some coaches as well under my tutelage or, you know, whatever. Um, so I kind of tried to bring some coaches in at Newfield while I was still the DOC. I was working with Lake Grove trying to figure out that. And then the opportunity came up at Bayport. The, the interesting thing about Bayport was that I did a camp for Red Bulls there probably in the mid-2000s, and they had, they had a, a nice grass field complex with a clubhouse and things like that. So, again, I was always thinking about facilities and how do you evolve something. Uh, I went and trained the Bayport team. It was a good little team at the time. We won State Cup at, like, you know, whatever, Long Island Cup. You know, it was, it was just a good little group. And then, you know, again, we started to get interest because we were a good team on Long Island. We recruited yeah. some players from different areas. And then, you know, again, conversations from being a trainer to being a DOC, that was a bigger club. So I was constantly just thinking about, you know, the next step. I don't know why I always thought that way, but I, I didn't, I wasn't, I think my original goal being the fact that I wanted to work for the Red Bulls and wanted to be a professional coach, I didn't want to settle for just being at a town program. No offense to the town programs. I just, that was never my goal. So I was always trying to grow and, and, and build something. So from, you're still involved with that program now? Yeah, Is, so, I'm, so I'm still the DOC of uh, Bayman Soccer Club. And so that now I know that with... Um, with Sousa, because I've spoken to Tom, yep. Tom Williamson and his clubs are kind of under that Sousa umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I've, um, I'm trying to think now I'd played against, uh, I think I played against the Sachem team 
with my West Hempstead team. Mm-hmm. And they had a Sousa trainer. Um, and I could tell that he'd been well, he'd been well taught. I don't remember the man's name, but it could just, everything he was saying, it was all, it was all uh, questions. It was, I could just tell that he was, he was just a well-educated coach. It was a, it wasn't the, the, the most high level of soccer, but it was just seemed like a, a well-educated coach. And so there's, I've even come up against New Hyde Park teams. They've had had uh, Sousa trainers. So there's like a, a number of different different programs and different teams that are that are utilizing your trainers and your training methods and um, really offering and helping programs and there's avenues to higher level soccer for so many different players. So what is your role with Sousa? So I'm I'm a director of the company. Um, there's five of us who who oversee everything, uh, principal ownership, and then and then you know head directors. So my title is the boys' technical director. So I oversee the whole boys' academy program. You know, quote unquote academy. It's not professional, but um, you know it's a private academy program. We offer all levels of play from. You know, right now we partnered with Albertson, so we play in the boys' ECNL. The girls play in the ECNL, um, and then we offer you know levels in EDP. What was the old MPL, New York Club Soccer League, um, and then we also have town programs that we we're attached to. So we still offer training and DOC you know programs to the town clubs, and again the mindset was more of a uh, creating a pyramid system so if you grow up in you know the the thought process I always had was you obviously want to try and keep local kids as close to home as possible through their younger years so a five and a six and an eight-year-old doesn't have to travel an hour in the car to go to practice but they could go five ten fifteen minutes to, to the fields and still get a good experience if they're thriving in that environment and they're one of the best players where do they go next you know do they just go into their travel program or is there another opportunity for them? So that was kind of the thought process behind it. And not all, not all clubs buy into that because, again, on Long Island, the mentality is nobody wants to lose their best players. So is it a case of losing or is it a case of passing a kid on if he's better than everybody else? Because what's the what's the point? If you're, a, if you're a very good player and you love soccer, but you're on a team with 10 kids who love baseball and lacrosse and whatever, like how is that helping a soccer kid? And that's where I think, you know, you're trying to just explain to people that, like, don't hold that kid back. Like, just because he loves soccer and you all love baseball and lacrosse and football and, and whatever, like, yeah, you have your differences, but you can respect each other's differences. So it slowly evolved from, you know, just, you know, the, the, the hybrid model originally of play on your town team and play on this academy team. You know, that kind of evolved through you know, 2011 to maybe 2014. And then it got to a point where it's like, all right, at what point can you keep doing everything, right? right? And and how many teams can you really play for? And how many times a week can you train and whatever? So then there has to be some separation in who are the committed higher level soccer kids and who are just athletes who enjoy soccer, you know? And and, and then where do you steer them and, and what direction? And and it's not a case of, listen, we're, we're not perfect. And I don't sit here saying I have all the answers, you know, I just kind of try and have conversations with parents as to, like, what do you think you want from the game of soccer? And then I can help you. 
But if you don't know what you want, then where are we really going? We're just spinning our wheels. And at some point, like, what, when do you make a decision? Like, you always hear, oh, you know, it's too young for a 10-year-old to make a decision if he loves soccer or not. But if a kid loves soccer, he loves soccer. Like, let him go play and figure it out. If he wants to do another sport, great. But if he doesn't, then why should you make him? But when you were saying there about being forward thinking, when um, merging the the boys' program with with Albertson, mm-hmm. with there being like um, again offering those um, those higher level players that that opportunity to to thrive and to improve and access to instead of fighting for the for the same facilities, the same players. Mm-hmm. combining and joining that is um i feel like a very forward thinking approach and then i've seen i've seen pictures of your of your new training facility did mm-hmm. um did you have any what kind of involvement did you have in 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 all that happening um so susa for you know to where it is today susa originally was a training company uh, so Musa C, who's our president right now, um, you know, he played on Long Island uh, when he came over here in college, settled down here, you know, similar to my pathway, kind of, you know, just was a trainer, had started his own organization. And me and Musa used to coach against each other quite a lot. So that's how I got to know him. And, you know, we, we had some mutual friends. You know, I ended up going to Suffolk Community College when I got married, just to go back to school and try and get an education, um, you know, through through kind of connections that you meet on Long Island throughout the way, um, you know, it kind of keeps circling back. So, you know, Musa had a, a, a the Sousa training organization and, and we had ours. So they were they were based around like central Suffolk County and I was more eastern Suffolk County. But we'd always talked about the idea that if the opportunity was there, like, let's try and bring everything together. Um, so Musa approached me probably, I don't know, 2014 and said, you know, there's a parent who is coming out of corporate America. He's willing to invest in kind of trying to bring a, a true soccer club to Long Island. Would you be interested? You know, and and that was that was always, again, if I wasn't working for the Red Bulls, I wanted to you know, try and build as 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 professional club as you could think of, um, you know, on our doorstep. And that was really where it evolved from. Well, I know, again, I keep mentioning the word forward thinking. Um, but, but, you know, creating this club and doing it to develop these players, I really do think is forward thinking. And then early when we'd started discussing, you, you talked about that um, you probably weren't the best student at school. But then you talk there about going back to college, and then that thing that's just rejogged my memory. I'm sure I've seen pictures of. Um, I'm sure you won some kind of championship as well, like helping coach the team. So that was just another, another way that you've helped a, another, another avenue of soccer in Suffolk County. Mm-hmm. But the fact that um, that then you're also putting that effort and that time into into education as well. Um, Again, it's the role of the modern coach. And I'd also seen that now that the Federation are going to be running running those licenses at your facility. Mm-hmm. And I'd and I'd seen as well that you had you did the 
the new format of the of the A license. Is that right? Two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Yeah, I did my original A license in 2009, and then you know, having a having a wife and having kids during that time, I'd let it lapse. And um, you know, again, I think you you got to look at yourself and and say, all right, it's easy to say, right, I've got an A license, so I kind of sit at the top of the pyramid a little bit, but it's just a piece of paper at the end of the day. The game evolves, you know, and and I got to a point where I was looking at my own coaching, and I was I could see I could see I was getting stale. You know, I, I'd stopped pushing myself a little bit and not that I think I took it for granted that I'd coached full time for, you know, 15 years or 16, 18 years, whatever it was at this point. And, um, you know, some of our guys like Musa had done his life, a license, um, you know, Booba was still here at the time and he'd, he, he was going through his B and a license. J.R. Balzarini had done his a license. So I just decided to go and do it again. And, and knowing the new format that they had the French, French Federation involved with uh, Didier Chambron and kind of doing some research, I just wanted to learn, you know. And, and again, I'm, I'm an okay coach, but, you know, I want to get better all the time. So was there, so from the, the new A license, what were some of the, some of the big things that you took from that compared to the original course you'd taken yeah, the, later on. I, w- I would say the biggest difference nowadays is that it's not just built around the X's and O's of, of coaching. So it's not just about the game model and, you know, technical, tactical, physical, psychological. It's more about, um, again, you know, who are you as a coach, the whole holistic approach of who are you as a coach? Who are they as players? Like, do you just look at them as players or do you look at them as people? Are you trying to develop a person as well as developing a player? So there's this whole, you know, holistic approach. And then also, you know, the club environment, you know, how, how do you create that club environment with a, um, you know, a true pyramid system as such? You know, are you, are you just developing a player? Are you developing a player within a team? Are you develop, developing a team within an age group? Do you, does your club have a style of play? Do they have a periodization plan? So it goes so in depth, you know, into which really blew my mind, you know, because you hear about periodization as a as a term and, you know, there's so much science behind it that, you know, really as a coach, you're a psychologist, you're a scientist, you're a, you know, you're a soccer coach, you're a mentor. So you look at it from so many different areas, you know, the, 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 you're not just a coach and that that's, for me, the the difference from two thousand nine to where they are today, and with the U.S. Federation, is is leaps and bounds, you know. And it opened my eyes to the fact that again, you don't know everything, and if you're not willing to throw yourself in that environment, then you know you can pat yourself on the back and say you're awesome, but you're really not. Well, at least it, it kind of all the things that you just mentioned there were, in somewhat some of the things that you're already forward thinking and doing within your own coaching and with your own club wasn't just mm-hmm. like you said x's and o's on the field it was um developing relationships building clubs yep. helping players giving them a pathway to to succeed really all like modern methods to to help the the modern player so what's next you always seem to be you seem to be everything you've mentioned you're one step ahead what would yeah. be um if there was something next that you wanted to achieve, what what would that be? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, if I look at our club now, so, you know, we, we, we have a good program. We have some, some educated staff who've been through their licensing. I would love my, my goal, you know, for me is uh, I like being a part of something bigger and I like being around other people who constantly challenge each other's thought process. So it's easy to be out there on your own, doing your own thing, but you know, you're not, for me, if you're not around other smart, educated people that might potentially be better than you, then you're just sitting, sitting stationary. So I like to surround myself with people who, who have knowledge, either as much knowledge and experience as I have, or even more. And then, you know, what can I get from them? Because if I'm going to learn something from them, then I can pass that on to other people. So the way I look at my role right now within the club is I want to help a lot of young coaches with their pathway. Um, I've coached at every level. You know, I, I haven't coached pro, but I've coached college. Uh, again, you know, people laugh at Suffolk Community College that, well, it's junior college. What does it really mean? But again, even that opened my eyes because there's so many good players on Long Island that might not have the grades or the, or the financial backing to, to go away to a, a four-year school and be successful. So a place like Suffolk and Nassau Community College, which you can go, you can come out of high school, you can mature, but it's yet still a very good soccer program. So when I went there in 2010, you know, we won nationals and I played and I was 29 years old playing with a bunch of kids. So I was really a coach on the field. I stayed coaching after that because I, you know, I ended up having my son and I knew I couldn't go anywhere else. So I was kind of stuck. So I dropped out of school again. Um, I coached 2000. So we won nationals again in 2014. Um, you know, we just, we had a very good program. But again, you know, I kind of, all, all my experience is, is just, for me, I want to help other people and I want them to be successful. So it, again, it's not, it's not about me. It's about, you know, the, the, the growing the program and evolving. You can, you, you're just involved with more people. And the more you're involved with more people, you can see success all around. And, you know, again, the Albertson piece was a move where, you know, Paul Riley, who was a big name on Long Island for way before I was, um, you know, I, I'd always looked and admired Paul Riley for what he did. You know, at Albertson, Albertson was always a name. They were in the boys' DA. They were in the girls' DA. You know, they... They just had a very, very, you know, powerful brand. And, and that was all created by him, you know. And obviously he had, he was forward thinking before I was. So it was for me when I got to Long Island, started listening to who are the names, who's around, you know, what have right. they done and why have they done it? I, I, I just always kind of, you know, was listening as to what people are doing and why they're doing it. So that, that's for me what my goal is right now with Sousa is, is just to help other people. Eddie, this has been excellent. Really enjoyed catching up with you. And, um, and I want to thank you for your time. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. As ever, it was a pleasure to catch up with Eddie and reminisce about our stories from our time as MLS Camps coaches, especially for the Metro Stars. I have admired Eddie's career from a distance for several years, so it was nice to actually go into detail and discuss some of his achievements. Throughout our conversation, it was evident that Eddie is always one step ahead 
and not afraid to rally some of the challenges that can overcome many youth soccer coaches and clubs. It seems he was at the forefront of developing relationships to enhance playing opportunities for the players he has come in contact with, from the beginner community player to the elite youth soccer player who has that desire to join a professional academy or college program. The merging of clubs and organisations must have its challenges and raised a few eyebrows, but you can feel it in Eddie's voice that he has a huge desire to provide the best coaching and playing opportunities for his players. I also give Eddie a lot of credit for taking the time to go back to college and to continue his coach education so he can keep his high standards and current ideas refreshed. Thank you for listening to the PK Soccer Podcast. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter at Paul Kelshaw, Instagram at Paul Kelshaw, like my Facebook page at PK Soccer Inc. or send an email paulkelshaw at pksoccer.org. I would also be grateful if you could give the podcast a review and a rating and share with your fellow coaches and friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.